0: welcome to episode 14 of how public works this is a podcast about how government and society interact and where you as a citizen can be informed and find a place where you can engage and transform our society together i'm your host ilmar simonovskis today we are with organizational strategist and performance consultant sid ridgely sid has provided advice facilitation, and strategy development in the areas of people development, organization growth, and customer loyalty for over 30 years in both the public and private sector spaces. His contribution to the public sector is to work with the political and administrative leaders in finding new opportunities to enhance service, build better relationships, and create a collaborative working environment. In the end, it is a supported and engaged workforce that leads to better outcomes and a healthy work environment, and this is what he strives to help create. Welcome Sid.
1: Well, thank you very much, Ilmar. I'm actually very pleased to be with you today.
0: Thank you so much. So let's start with the first question I have for you. What trends have you seen from your 30 plus years working with managers and executives of municipalities and regional governments?
1: Oh, you're starting off with a tough question first. I love it. Okay, so the last 30 years or so, what does what is, what is this gray-haired guy actually seen? Well, first of all, I'm going to say this. I think it's tougher to work as a leader today in an administrative capacity than it was years ago. Mm-hmm. Way tougher. The, there's more eyes on you. You could be videotaped. They can take you out of context. It just goes on and on and on. The other, the other trend that I've seen. So first of all, trend number one. I think it's harder to work as a leader today and more stressful than it was fifteen, twenty, thirty years ago. I also think today there's far more. There's a greater fear of making a mistake. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, is that I think decisions require far too many checkers resulting in decisions not being made quickly or at the right level in the organization because the lower level employees are pushing up decisions that they could actually make and would make, but they don't. And Mm -hmm. so what happens is all these decisions are being pushed upwards and then decisions aren't being made in a timely manner. All of a sudden, You know, a key group of uh, directors or, you know, commissioners or whatever will Mm. get together and they'll make a whole bunch of decisions at one time. I call it decision fatigue. Mm. And, you know, instead of making it at the right level, you know, push it all up. The other thing I'm worried about is this, and this is really only coming up in the last five or six years. It used to be this way, uh, you know, when I did my research, you know, in in the early 70s, Mm-hmm. Um, versus, you know, we see, in the early '70s, we used to have a saying that you know people want to be human beings, not human doings, and we kind of moved away from that. But I'm going to say this: what I'm seeing right now is a far more uh, push towards. The trend is people are just human doings; they're not human beings. Mm-hmm. And and the truth of the matter is, in the younger demographic. You see, they want their life to mean something. Right. But unfortunately, there's too many people in the political bodies that think the administration is simply a collection of human doings. And I think ultimately that's going to be a bit of a problem for us. But that's kind of like the three trends I see happening at this point.
0: Well, that's very insightful. And, you know, living in some of those spaces that I have in my career, I can see very much how those trends have, have really formed and, and create a very interesting culture as, as you know, these organizations shift in that slow but very you know, pondering direction of building these, uh, these cultures. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me, are there any social trends that, uh, that current and future leaders in government should be aware of?
1: Well, the first one I think everybody on the planet's aware of is this thing called polarization of viewpoints. And so, you know, it wasn't all that long ago. Now, here in Canada, we still kind of sort of want to work to common ground and, and, and so on and try to, to work towards the greater good. And, uh, and, and in fact, I think the county of Simcoe's motto is the greater good mm-hmm. or, or words to that effect. But what we're really seeing is we're really seeing people uh, take putting a stake in the ground. This is my view, and I don't care about your view. This is what I want, whether it's based on facts or not. So I, I, I'm going to say that's a social trend I'm more and more concerned about. And so I think uh, for particularly governments, trying to find a way to get people to Support ideas is going to be increasingly more difficult the the, the 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 second trend I see, and this trend has been going on for a while, but I think there 's an added dimension to it that that didn 't exist first of all, uh, as many of your listeners are going to know uh, you know trust is the trust gap that exists in society right now and has been for the last while i 'm going to say decade or so mm. has been significant however. Trust is not enough. See, the other trend that's important is called credibility. So I pull them together and say it's about trust and credibility. And what I mean by that is, is that you can be trusted but not necessarily credible. So one of the social trends is, is that when people are looking for, you know, uh, should I support you, should I not support you? You know, Sid's a nice guy, but you know what? He's not a brain surgeon you know he's not credible as a brain surgeon oh but oh but he but but is he any good at you know organization culture change well yeah he's got expertise in that well now hopefully my credibility on that piece makes me makes me more influential and so i think the missing piece for many organizations and particularly government right now is the tr- not just trust but the credibility piece too and i think that's by the way uh Ilmore, i believe many municipalities miss that boat they don't convince enough people or demonstrate their credibility because they make decisions that are long lasting mm-hmm. uh they're not making a decision that only lasts for the cycle of the of the of of the current political council they're making they're making bets on, you know, whether you put in a new road or you 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 do some other infrastructure type deal. These are decades and decades long, you know, bets, for mm-hmm. goodness sake. So, credibility. The third one in this is this. And 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 what I like to to say to people is that the 20th century was about workers cooperating with one another. But the 21st century is about people collaborating with one another. The downside is is that most, I'm going to say executives, don't know diddly squat about collaboration even though they use the word.
0: These are very thought-provoking ideas you're putting on the table, Sid
1: well that's that isn't that the idea elmar if we're <laughs> if we're gonna talk about creating more value, how does government work? How could government create more value how could how could how could leaders you know get get more get get consistently more um out of the resources, whether that be people financial or mechanical mm-hmm. to create something important uh, I think that's in everybody's best interest at the end of the day, and that's why I worry about things—the social trend of polarization of viewpoints. Because you got to work on trying to do something here. You can't, but you can't be compromising the mediocrity every day either. You, you know, our 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 employees. You know, when they get beaten up, nobody stands up for the fact that they're credible, honest, hardworking, caring people. We don't do it enough. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, the youth are coming in and they're going they don't understand the old paradigm; they're used to working in a collaborative manner. So there you go. Yes, or three trends. There's there's the trends I would identify for now for sure. <laughs>
0: okay, well I'll tell you something. I have a few questions for you on these trends, and sure. and I'll start with sort of just the perspective on that polarization. And I mean, this could be a whole other conversation for sure. But what's your what's your view on social media or access to instant information and the you know the five minute news cycle and and that impact on polarization because you know in one perspective even though we have let's say older um, you know older people in the hierarchy of these organizations in the higher leadership positions it's the younger more tech savvy youth that are coming in that could essentially be stimulating some of that polarization what's your view on that
1: well first of all I'm gonna say this Ilmar: we gotta stop fighting stuff that we don't Mm -hmm. like Mm-hmm. you know um, social media is going to exist it's got its good points it's got its bad points or ugly points. I don't care what you call it at the end of the day it's here mm-hmm. at the end of the day we also have a group of people who don't give a can I say rat <laughs> whatever you fill in the blank about social media mm-hmm. you know they still want to read stuff or they want to see it or, you know they want to talk about it there are differences Mm-hmm. The key, but so 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 you know, when we talk about polarization of viewpoints, yes, they're going to have them. And you see, polarization of viewpoints, there's, there's a couple other pieces to it. You know, you are what you are because of when you were value programmed. Mm-hmm. So what we know from research is that by the age of seven, by and large, a, a person's personality is about 85% locked in. By the age of 13, a person's personality is about 95% locked in. And then after the age of you know, 13, puberty kind of routine, then it takes a significant emotional event to change a personality. Mm. So the truth of the matter is this whole uh, nature versus nurture viewpoint is our experiences help us add up to a belief that we might have as right or wrong. Right. and we're getting to the point where people are saying, if I don't stand up for myself, I'm going to get nothing because nobody seems to be listening to understand. Right. Everybody seems to be trying to create or do stuff, for, but nobody's explaining that my my viewpoint was valid. They just try to discredit my viewpoint right. instead of saying there are multiple viewpoints here. And that's what I noticed about... Municipalities. I also notice that with you know many of my clients happen to be electric utilities, in, and okay. in, in I have a lot of those. And of course, they go out and they consult their constituents, which is fantastic. But at the end of the day, you can't satisfy. You won't. You it's you you no longer have the ability to satisfy all the people every time. Mm-hmm. And so, so you're you got to. So in my view, you simply need to recognize polarization of viewpoints
0: so okay so with that sort of perspective on polarization then that leads me back to the next point that you made around cooperating versus collaborating and I mean those are two very very useful very powerful principles and you know, cooperation has been a statement forever, and then all of a sudden collaboration somehow is something more than cooperation. So what is that something more that you're speaking to that you really feel needs to be there over and above that cooperation level?
1: Okay, so let's, uh, the way I'm going to put it to you is this way, is that um, baby boomers grew up, if you're baby boomers, basically, you know, 1946 to about, you know, 1964, thereabouts, Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'll I'll put it to you this way, is that baby boomers, when they were in grade five, they sat in rows, the teacher was at the front of the room, and the teacher would ask questions or you'd put up your hand and so on and so forth, and God forbid if you talk to the person in the next row because you got in. Trouble if you right, did, right. and and what would happen is is that maybe there might be an assignment, or maybe there might be something that you had to work with somebody, but that was basically you work with somebody to produce what was known as a defined outcome, an answer to a question or a project. But if you walk into a grade five classroom today, or even you know since the you know uh, I'm going to say the. Uh, uh, mid eighties onwards, Mm -hmm. um, that grade five classroom has uh, people sitting in pods, four or five or six people sitting around a big square or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. And guess what they're doing? The teacher goes to the pod and says, I want you to solve this problem or here's what you're working on. Mm -hmm. So what do you think they're doing? They're collaborating. They're not cooperating with one another. They're figuring out how to solve it. They're Mm -hmm. figuring out what they're comfortable with producing. And they go produce it. Versus in a cooperative environment, in a cooperation, somebody says, Here's what I want you to produce. It's not you don't have any latitude there. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what you need to do in order to get your A or your high mark or whatever the case may be. So it's very different. But there's also something that's more important here and why collaboration is important. And it's an important trend. So any executive, if they're not getting good at embracing collaboration or creating an environment where collaboration is going to take place, they're not going to have a high-performing organization. And here's the reason why. The primary reason why is no one single person knows everything about everything. Right. And when we go into problem-solve mode, we need to have all the facts. And so what I mean by that is, is that is that it is, it is uh, collaboration, in order to collaborate well, and here's the, the other difference here, one must have all the facts out on the table. So you, th- we call it the what so, it's the diagnostic here. And when everybody understands what so, then it's easier to create what could be. In a cooperation point of view, it actually promotes negotiation. And so what will happen is, is I'll say, so Ilmar, you will love this. Oh, I'm not, Ilmar says, well, I don't know if I'm gonna. Love it. Yes, mm-hmm. you're gonna love it. Let's see, let's see if you and I can work together, and I can show you how you're gonna love this. Mm. That's cooperation. Whereas you, and you, we really need to be saying, are there? And by the way, I think all of your listeners would say this. There's more and more managers, supervisors and managers and senior leaders talking about we need more creativity, we need more innovation in the workplace. That doesn't happen under a cooperative, it does happen under collaboration. Because collaboration produces what is known as synergistic decision making. There you go. I'm 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 probably going further than no. you want me to go. No, because
0: well, you know what? This is leading right back to your first few statements, and this is beautiful in this in this uh, flow of of logic. Because you said something very pinnacle in that statement around the fact that you need to draw from various perspectives or various experiences around that collaborative pod, let's say, uh, and that then begs the question: Well. If I'm coming to the table with certain information that may or may not be known in the group because we're being creative and we're being, you know, trying to be thinking outside of our normal spaces, then that immediately goes to the question around, well, does the group trust me? And does the group feel my information is credible to your first two statements? And, you know, and maybe just with the question of trust and credibility, you can spend... Weeks, months, years, building, creating trust, and destroy that in an instant. Oh. And credibility, I'm assuming, has a very similar um, life cycle. Let's say, uh, what's your view on that? I mean, you can, you know, it, it, they're they're two very viable and very valid uh, uh, attributes. Uh, how, are they both very similar in how they're created and potentially destroyed?
1: Well, destroyed in an instant. They're both destroyable in an instant. Mm-hmm. They're actually complementary. Mm. uh but credibility is built under different uh dimensions or constructs than trust is mm-hmm. and so trust has its you know trust is uh it it is an intangible so is credibility an intangible mm-hmm. though uh, in in the trust world um you know being consistent is a dimension of trust mm-hmm. as a, for instance um a big dimension of building and maintaining trust is living by your commitments. You know, one of my favorite phrases is "Do what you say you're going to do." Right. As a for instance, right. trust. Uh, the biggest, you know, ta- you know, the biggest, the biggest destroyer of trust is when anybody acts, uh, you know, in a self-interest way. So it's really about me. You know, i I'm, I'm going to gain something, but you're not. Well, guess what? You're going to push back on all of that. Gotcha. Uh, you know, credibility is knowing your stuff. It's about speaking the truth. It's about it's 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 about uh, it's about having your facts correct. Yeah. Uh, that's credibility. So there there are different dimensions of that, mm-hmm. and but they add up to something very powerful. And when you're when and, and when a person works with somebody who they trust and they know they know their stuff, man. There's hardly any arguments that go on. Nice. There are disagreements, not conflicts. Yes. And you see, that's one, of the, that's one of the reasons why we need to embrace credibility. Because when we embrace trust and credibility, we end up having disagreements. But when, we don't, when we're not trusted and we're not credible, it turns into a conflict. And mm-hmm. a conflict is a warlike scenario. And that's harder to reconcile and it turns people into winners and losers. Disagreements can actually have a positive outcome.
0: I like that, Sid. That's, so thank you for that. Those three, uh, those three points that have actually created an incredibly effective path from trust right through to collaboration and, and the viewpoints and polarization. So let me ask you then, from that place, what are your worries for current and future leaders in government?
1: Well, I'll, I'll try to keep this reasonably quick, but I'm, I'm really worried that there's a trend back to simply being a task focus, particularly in municipalities and regional government. Mm-hmm. Uh, that human doings kind of statement that I've made, yeah. and but that's going to fly quite anti against uh, the, the, the folks who are coming out of university or have, who have only been in the workplace for about 10 years. They're not going to handle that very well at all. And the more you make them look like they're workplace donkeys, mm-hmm. the less likely they're gonna stay, the less likely they're gonna be committed, and the less likely they're gonna have your back. So mm-hmm. that's how that works oh I, I think I think there's senior leaders in particular um, I'm seeing a move away from soliciting advice, thoughts, ideas, concerns, or recommendations from all levels. um you know. Tom Peters used to say, you know um, you know uh, management by walking around, so to speak mm-hmm, N- not that that that's a really old concept, but what un- what underpins that though is simply asking and there th- these are magic words for the for a leader anywhere is to simply ask the question, regardless of who you 're talking to, say, What do you think about? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, and they 'll give you the trouble is is that i've got i'm seeing too many senior people who are worried that if they ask that question, they're, they're going to somehow feel obligated that they have to agree with what the response is. And that, mm. to me, is ridiculous. They don't need to do that at all. They need to respect the response. But the act of asking somebody their opinion and viewpoint simply adds to the wealth of, of knowledge or data that you draw from to make your decision.
0: Well, and I think too that also you know that also enforces and reinforces the collaborative um, environment that we, that you spoke about and creating that trust. I mean, just imagine you're asking a relatively new member of the team their opinion on maybe a fairly large or fairly significant decision. I mean, that's that speaks to looking at a new perspective and trusting that they may have something useful and valuable, and as well an opportunity to learn from both sides, really.
1: Uh, and and you're hitting on the opportunity to learn so the act of asking somebody what do they think that's an act of helping that person develop into a more senior capacity or being able to handle more difficult work yeah i mean it costs nothing to do this the other the other uh worry i have for current and future leaders and you know is this i'm worried about the union relationship Mm. i'm worried about the current union contracts and because you see i view i view this i'm not anti union so i don't want you know listeners to think well so that no he's not he's not i'm worried about the purpose of the union as it is aligned or not aligned with the purpose of a robust uh, healthy organization mm-hmm. and there's a gap there and so you know the the gap being this the administration and the really good executives—they're always focused on creating a better and strong, better and different tomorrow. Right. Unions are are focused on fixing the errors of the past.
0: Mm, interesting. Yeah.
1: And so that that divide is not helpful for anybody. Now, many senior leaders have overcome that because, and, be, and many union leaders have overcome it because they recognize that you know, people want their life to mean something. So if we can work to find a way to work together, uh, that's great. The other thing that I love about working with particularly municipal governments is the number of people who are there because they love to serve
0: mm, is nice.
1: immense. You don't find that that number of people who are there because they want to serve in, in, in other types of in, of industries. So I think that's one. And the last one I'll say this, and this might be a little this will this could be controversial. I'm finding that far too many senior level people and I'm gonna put this right on the lap of senior people, confuse employee happiness with employee engagement. Okay. It's nonsense to believe that happy people are productive people, and that's a worry that I have for the future leaders.
0: So that last point, the happiness versus engagement, can you can you just elaborate a little bit on that? Because I want to lead that into sort of the attracting good people as well, and and that's an interesting point. I think it has some value to maybe explore a little further.
1: Well, I I can you know I I, I to me, um. Having an engaged employees is not only desirable, but it's achievable. It's quite mm-hmm. doable. And the, the challenge is, is that it hasn't been articulated very well. Mm-hmm. And organizations will spend literally tens if not hundreds of thousand dollars surveying employees about employee engagement, but they're not d- surveying employees about employee engagement. What they're actually surveying is the climate you know what's your relationship with your boss? Are you, you know, are you comfortable with the amount of, you know, are you, are you do you believe you're being treated fairly from a compensation or benefits point of view? Is the workload distributed fairly? Mm-hmm. Uh, those are climate issues, not structural engagement issues. Gotcha. And so, so, so what happens is, is that all of a sudden, you know, an organization spends a lot of money on. An employee engagement survey uh, then they have lots of counseling going on let's have some focus groups and you know and the, we're, we're gonna we're gonna change the paint color in the bathroom and that'll make people happier and if you know if it changed the color it'd be great we're going to bring back uh, meatloaf on Fridays in the cafeteria because you know we got some feedback on that. actually none of that adds up to employee engagement at all so Happy people are not productive people, and they're not necessarily engaged people uh, at all. And and so, f- and and it's what I'll tell you though is mm-hmm. that for me, uh, corporate culture and the research around um, employee engagement is very clear. See, engagement is this. There are really there are six dimensions of um, that create. There are many dimensions if. that helps create employee engagement. But the six most powerful ones from Sid Ridgely's perspective, based Mm -hmm. on the work he's done with various companies and research, by the way, is this. Empowerment is a key. So in other words, there are highly skilled people in government today who can't make a decision because they've been muzzled. Now, you're going to tell me they're going to be engaged? The answer is no. Yeah. Employees need to know they feel valued. Uh, are their ideas valued? Are they, Is their opinion valued about things that are happening at work? Are they connected to a place in somewhere? Are they part of the team? Uh, do they have people they actually care to work with? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they do, that's all great stuff. Are they inspired about what the department, the, the 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 what the department, the division, or the you know area, or the the city, or the government is doing? Are they inspired with what's going on? That's important. Are they growing? In other words, you know, do they know more today than they did a year ago? Right. You know, and the last one is this, and and this is one that often people will miss, particularly human resource professionals will miss this one the last one is called performance oriented and that means people are goal-driven yes we're gonna do this and by the way we did it and let's look Isn't that great and by the way let's go do this that's performance oriented see people wanna know how's our how's our department doing really how's our division doing really how's the city doing really and 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 one of my bugaboo's is that i think sometimes senior leaders sugarcoat poor performance all too often but at any rate we're really talking yeah. about the notion of of engagement
0: well okay so this i love this 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 line of uh, discussion especially because as you were you know responding to the question initially you know the first thoughts in my mind were you know trust and delegation and and you know feeling that sense of satisfaction so as you were going through these six factors i'm going yeah these 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 are these are bang on these are things that would motivate you know motivate me and keep me engaged and it's a very interesting distinction and i really like how you've couched the idea of these surveys and what they're really trying to measure so that's a, a very powerful set of statements. I think this is the best piece of this whole interview, Sid, to be with you. <laughs>
1: well, well, unless you're, I guess, are you shutting off the interview? <laughs> then I, can I go home now? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> but I have to say, though, that with these factors and the six that you have here, and, and going back to your earlier comment of the union-non-union relationship and the environments within those two, those two um, cultures, let's say, because you're trying to, as organizations, especially as the resources and the talent pool retires and, and the shift in our, our communities change from, you know, from, let's just say, less available resources to, to do the work that municipalities need to have done. What do you then look at when you're trying to attract and retain good people? And are they the same for union and non-union um, hiring practices, let's say, or targeting those people that you want to bring into the organization?
1: Well, that is both a philosophical question, a strategic question, and there's no one single answer about Mm -hmm. it all. Um, You know, because you could make the case that there are some jobs really, you know, we, we need to hire for X. We don't really care if they can become a city manager at some point in their career. We don't really care. Um, and and that's that's a that's a strategy to be used. Um, I just believe that when you when we hire, regardless of what level, we never should. In my my advice is, you never hire for a particular job. Mm-hmm. You hire for the fact that whatever job they're being hired for is not going to be the job they're in five years from now, ten years from now, or twenty years from now. Even if in theory they still are. The truth of the matter is their job will change either because of technology, because of changes in methodology, or in other work practices. So no matter how a job is defined today, regardless if you got promoted or not, it will change by virtue of, of technology, policy changes, uh, process changes, and potentially other factors. So we shouldn't be just hiring for X. you gotta hire for X plus plus plus
0: mmm that's a very good point yes uh, it's interesting and you, and you look at postings for various positions or even when creating a, a need for a requirement in HR and you know you can probably attest to this with your HR background HR has very rigid requirements and you know years of experience and the pay bands are, are attached to these these Quote people; these descriptions of people, and you know, I mean, I've bumped up against hiring talent where this person has huge potential, but they have to fit within a certain a certain
1: box. Yeah, that, that's you know, I, I, this is going to be, uh, and I'll state it right on here because yeah, it's my belief that is that's an attempt to make people believe. That there's a scientific approach to being able to define what the requirements for success would be for any job. Mm-hmm. It's total nonsense. It's discredited. It can be discredited in a minute. Mm-hmm. And so, if those criteria were actually taken to court, I got news for you. I don't believe it'd stand up at all. They mm-hmm. would be falling down real fast. We have a really crappy methodology, not just, by the way, in government, everywhere, of uh, being able to identify people, identify their potential. And I, by the way, I'm not gonna pretend I have an answer for that, because I don't, it's really tough. Right, right. Uh, but what I am gonna say is is that we we miss a lot of people because you know they don't have the degree. Oh, well, I'm gonna tell you this. I mean, I've taught at university and I got news for you. Anybody who's been, you know, and I talk to a lot of MBA, oh, I got an MBA from one. I go, you know what, when did you get your MBA? Well, I got it in 1980. You know what, you're so far out of date right now, it's unbelievable. <laughs> right. You know, please don't tell people you have an MBA, <laughs> you know, because yeah. it's, not, it's not relevant today. Yeah. Or, and, I, and I'm going to say this because I may have people listening. Medical doctors. It wasn't all that long ago, you know. I'm mm-hmm. talking to, you know, a medical doctor who's looking after my 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 mother, and I'm going, this guy is so far out of date, it's unbelievable. <laughs> but is is he still working? Is he still charging the government? Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, there's my mother still believing him, and I'm going, oh my god, this is nuts. So it's I call it credentialitis, and it yes. is a way to try to add some rationality. But here's what none of those, none of that criteria says. This does the person embrace um, do what needs to be done in order to get the job done? Yeah. Do they have a work ethic that supports teamwork? Do they do they do they have not only their employees back but the bosses back? Do they do they badmouth or will they support? The direction that the organization's going, show me where that shows up in any of the job descriptions that people are applying for.
0: Yes, yeah, it, it, well, it doesn't in, in in a direct way for sure. Uh, but what's interesting is often people are measured against those, uh, you know, those less definable attributes from a, from yeah. a quali- you know quantitative perspective, qualitative perspective, I guess. Yeah,
1: yeah. And yeah. so I b- I believe we miss a lot of good folks because of the criteria that they have and. You know it's just the way that is and
0: yeah well here okay I, i've got a couple of questions i want to follow up with sure. that and and you know just this whole idea of uh what you called credentialitis and you know i have a 20 year old uh that's just in university right now and we've had many discussions around and what you described at the beginning of the interview of you know living and working and are you working to live or living to work and you know the argument is why am i going to university i don't need this and and, you know, my my only advice to her is this will give you a key. It may or may not open doors, but at least you have an opportunity. And that's really driven by those of your and my vintage that are out there looking for those things to say, hey, yeah, you can enter into this organization because you have a key. Really, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it, it is. But I would also tell your daughter, by the way, for what it's worth, is that the the university degree or college for that matter anything post secondary in particular increases a person's capacity to think through complexity and or mm-hmm. think through ambiguity mm-hmm. and that's where real progress is made difficult you know one of the things i've i learned working with with government folks policy is damn hard Coming up with a policy that's workable supportable, I got news for you that damn hard and by the way, your degree has nothing to do with whether or not you can actually handle uh, coming up with a policy <laughs> what how you learned and how you you know solve problems you know I'll say at the post secondary or you know university level it simply increases your capacity to be able to figure out what's important, what's not important and to help you find a path to something that's reasonable so I may be getting a little off topic no
0: this this is actually really on topic and it's about my daughter and everybody else's daughter and son out there who are asking these questions especially in this time with the transition globally with you know university schools any institution being shut down over the you know the spring season and now with online learning there's a lot of anxiety around what is this all for right so this is that I think your your words of wisdom are, are, are gonna be well received and two other points I want to touch on, Sid, with regards to this attracting and retaining good people, and the idea of performance. You mentioned you know, performance, getting it done, and every organization has its distribution of you know, the middle of the road, workhorses, the, the top performers, and, and those that might need a little bit more support. What's your view on sort of that distribution, and what does that mean in an organization?
1: Hmm. Let me just see here. So the, the 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 question is, how do we get the most from the fact that? Any work group are not homogeneous. In other words, mm-hmm. they don't all have the same skills and ability. There are right. those who, mm-hmm. who are, I'll say, you know, uh, I, we, we like to call, I like to call them superstars, and, right. and and then we got you know people who are, you know, way better than the average. And then you got 50 percent of the population. I'm going to call them average. And then you got, you know, a small part of the population who. You know what uh, if they can get away with it, they kind of will you know come in a little late, come leave a little early you know and then you got actually a percentage of population, which is really unfortunate because they're in my opinion, there's too many of them in the government side and the private industry they they're there too, but they seem to be not as many of them people who are actually actually actively negative mm. uh in the workplace and in you know, you can't do anything with them. You know, it takes three years to do something about it. Right, right. And, you know, that's problematic. I think and 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 here's here's the word I'm going to use. Um, my international work tells me this is that Canadians are far more egalitarian than they should be. Hmm. And they think that treating people the same is good. In other words, People are really talented. They all could have the same job title. As a, for instance, they all have the same job title. There are some that are absolutely outstanding. There are some that are really good. Most of them are you know, pretty average, which is just fine. And you got some, oh, I'm not so sure I can uh, worry about them. What happens is, is that with an egalitarian mindset, we create policies for the lowest common denominator mm-hmm. because we don't want that group that might take advantage of us to screw up everything, right? Where the truth of the matter is, is that we ought to. That so egalitarian thinking and egalitarian policy making, or, or even leadership uh, style here, I think, is detrimental to being able to keep people who are really good at what they do to stay really good at what they do. But instead, what 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 do most leaders do to the really good ones? Oh, we're going to give you more work.
0: Oh, reward you know. them with more. Exactly. Oh yeah,
1: thank you very much. Oh, you did a really great job, Elmar. <laughs> Will you take on this project too? <laughs> Holy crap! What about what about Jane? What's happening? Where, well, she's gone home for the day. Oh, what's this all about? You know, I know we're kind of laughing about it, but you know it's and I'm so i think i think the notion of we got to abandon the notion that sameness equals fairness it does not
0: well and there's also and this is one i'm sure you're you're very familiar with uh, but one that might not be so so um, dominant, or even even exist in the current sort of current workforce, is the idea of, you know, that Peter Principle around being promoted to your level of incompetence. It's 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 really quite a quite a famous statement that's been around for probably over
1: thirty years now. Oh, maybe more.
0: Yeah, yeah. And what's your view on that? And and is that something that just doesn't go away?
1: It'll never go away, and mm-hmm. and it does exist. And the not, not just government, I don't know of any organization that has handled that very well. Mm. You know, the, the, the simplest answer is, is that we've got to create an environment whereby people can either step aside or step back without being treated like they're a loser or a failure. Right. And nobody seems to have cut that one very well at all, which is unfortunate, and I, I won't pretend I have an answer to that. I don't. But does it happen? The answer is yes. But you mm-hmm. see, this is when we this is when things such as this is truly when um things such as coaching, external coaching, needs to come into play. Mm-hmm. So most organizations today are typically using the coaching, you know, bringing in somebody, you know, you know I think Ilmar's got a lot of potential, let's give him a coach and let him develop. Right. But the truth of the matter is you've got people who are, you know, I'll call it struggling in the current job. Not that they're bad people, but a little bit of coaching will help them up their game. So, and now, so can you won't, you, now you won't end up with somebody who's underperforming or you have to fire or you have to replace, you know?
0: Yeah, and so for those who might not be familiar with that principle, can you just very briefly describe what, what it actually means?
1: Well, the Peter Principle? Yeah. It really means being promoted to one level beyond your your true capacity to perform. Mm. And so you may be a good lead hand. Then you became a very good supervisor and you became a... Uh, a manager, and you had supervisors, that which means that you were really doing a line type of job. And then they said, well, you know, Sid's really good. We're going to make him a director now. Mm-hmm. But at the director level, I'm not tied up with the day-to-day stuff. I'm now tied up with the month-to-month stuff. Right. And I'm not used to thinking month-to-month. I've been used to thinking what needs to be done by Friday. Right. <laughs> and so, right. you know, helping people uh, develop, um, can, can actually help ensure that the person can perform at that level. But it's possible that as a director Sid, you were great as a manager, but you're my best manager, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) but you're now my worst director (laughs) 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 because you can't manage managers. You know why? Because you want to tell all the managers how to do stuff and that's not the way they want to do it. Yeah because you're micromanaging you know what I mean so
0: yeah well it's interesting and and you know in my in my journey and those that I've I've had the pleasure of promoting and growing you know one of the first messages in that new role is you know I need you to now forget about what you did in that last job and we need to really think about what you're doing in this job and that's it's almost like redefine who you are and not to change who you you are but just be aware that there's things that you did in that last role that really don't fit in this role and you need to think about what those are and you know as leaders all around these people we're all here to help going back to the idea of coaching and making you know making people aware of what's happening having those conversations and asking those questions so so thank you for that, Sid.
1: Well, I will say this: as you, I know you want to move on to another another <laughs> question here, but uh, I, I want to raise this. Where we really see the Peter Principle, the, you know, intuitively you think at the senior levels, and that's true. But actually, where you see it more is at the uh, first line supervisory level. Mm. And here's the reason why: is that too many organizations take their best lead hand and make her or him the supervisor. Mm. And so, two things happen. We gain a crappy supervisor and lose our best lead hand. Right. Because we don't teach them or develop them into a supervisor capacity. And the person, by the way, who takes over that job, they say, well, you know what, I, I'm the supervisor because I'm the best worker. Um, I know how to do stuff best. Right. So therefore, folks, so all of you reporting, I know best and that's, uh, that's why I need you to do it this way. Right. <laughs> So that's where I see it actually is in the lower levels more than the senior levels.
0: Well, and it's interesting, Sid, because when you describe it that way, and if you look at, say, the large municipalities as an example in the space that I'm talking about, they're probably those those, uh, promotions, because they're deep in the organization, probably have a very sort of invisible impact too. It's not like you're promoting someone to the commissioner and all of a sudden it just becomes very evident. Right. And right, so it, they're probably harder to suss out or harder to, you know, help. Because I think too is part of that promotion to that level of the you know, the level of incompetence, pre-principle aspect of it, is that those individuals can often feel actually frustrated and be less satisfied with that higher role because they just don't feel that they have the tools to do it.
1: Right.
0: Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It is interesting. This is the beauty of this of this journey and having these conversations with with people like yourself, Sid. It's amazing what uh, you know. What we often forget that we've known for so long. Mm-hmm. And you know, really, at the end of the day, too, everything that we're talking about, that I'm talking about within the public space, and that that you're that you're so involved in, is really what does this mean for the community at the end of the day? And you know, why should citizens care about how an administration is led? you know, really, they're often only concerned about the services and the taxes and, you know, the the fees they pay at the local pool or library or arenas. Why should citizens really be interested in our administration and our leadership?
1: Well, you know, first of all, you know, the administration is really about creating an environment where citizens can live the way they wish to live um, safely so on and so forth. Do, mm-hmm. that, that's really what it's all about. Having said that, why should citizens really care? Well, you see, for me there's a couple things is this. See, a, a, an organization can be efficient but may not be effective. Mm-hmm. And I need to draw that as a distinction because we really need to be effective first and efficient second. So I'll give you a kind of an example and this was not all that long ago Uh, maybe I may have my years wrong I'm going to say three or four years ago um, municipalities regions when they were salting the roads they there was a new brine that came out Mm. and for the for the trucks and they were using that new brine and that worked that was efficient for the road but what it did it created more electricity pole fires where transformers were.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So un- unintended consequences.
1: So so isn't that just cool, right? <laughs> or 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 now they've changed that, and so they they figured that out. That was a cost thing, you know. Or even uh, I'm going to say fixing a pothole. Well, mm-hmm. you can be really efficient at fixing a pothole, but what if you're not using you know, not if, what if you're not really following the most up-to-date practices or buying the better products that are available today? You know, you did it cheaply, but i got to do it again next year or the year after or the year after that. So there's a difference between being efficient and being effective. And sometimes efficient, you can say, well, it only cost us X. Yeah, and it lasted two years and you get to do it all over again. Isn't that <laughs> special? So... The the other thing that worries me, is, so I'm going to say, citizens, um, yeah, they are concerned about costs, but we got to help them appreciate that it's what you get. See, why do why do uh, citizens rail against how much it costs? Because they don't know what they're getting. Mm-hmm. They don't know. Uh, I mean, we'll ask questions when I do work for electric utilities. We'll say, you know, that project of putting in that that for that community is 1.5 million dollars and how do you feel about spending 1.5 million dollars so that we can turn that into a you know a a a, a hundred acre industrial park that will bring you know about uh, you know 1200 jobs here how do you feel about that well mm-hmm. what do you mean one point well, i don't know what is they have no idea yes. what that is now if you ask people um if you paid ninety dollars for a glass of orange juice, do you think that's too much?
0: It's Small enough that they understand it, and they they, un, they understand. It so,
1: yeah, so, totally, so yeah. the the truth of the matter is, is that you know we're really talking about why should they care? Yeah. We 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 you, miss, you know governments need to do a better job of how they balance both the short and long term needs here, that they're prudent in their decision making. Therefore, we're doing the right things for our community. The other thing that, that citizens need to be more worried about, and, and we're, maybe we're afraid to talk about it. You know, crappy organizations have higher turnover. And if a crappy organization has higher turnover, do we think for a minute there's more cost to a higher turnover? That's now, the trippy. vast majority of people are gonna say, yeah, there's gonna be costs. Mm-hmm. Now, there's still gonna be some say, I don't really care, I just don't wanna pay more taxes. That's, we're not gonna make 100% of the people Happy ever, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go. It's (laughs) a challenge. Yeah, it's a challenge. Well,
0: and you know, you you talk about that that uh, difference between effective and efficient services. So, what type of thinking would you recommend for our leaders within government spaces to adopt in order to be more effective?
1: Well, let me just see here. Type of type of thinking that I would I would recommend here. You know, there's. First of all, I think every, particularly senior leaders, you know, uh, CIO, city managers, whatever you want to call them, you know, commissioners, all of the directors, and even managers and supervisors, I really think every, particularly every managerial leadership assignment needs to be thinking about the whole enterprise, not just their sphere. So yeah, you may be the commissioner of, of community services, but you better be taking an interest in what the heck's happening in the financial and technology world. You better understand that, you know, in this municipality, we have a pretty demanding, you know, parks and rec uh, organization that's mm-hmm. also contributes. So we need to be mindful of the whole organization. And so I believe the type of thinking that leaders need to adopt. I I like to call it we have a model that we use in my organization. Is We call it the four circle models. And what does that mean? Well, it really means this. It means, about, it means creating an ideal place for people to work. And I'm going to use the word ideal. Okay. Um, I'm going to say uh, an organization that provides the ideal group of services to its clients or customers. It has an ideal performance quotient. In other words, it 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 operates well. It you know it uses equipment well. It uses its financial resources well. It it sets goals. It achieves goals. And the, and the fourth one, which by the way wasn't really there optically uh, until the Great Recession of two thousand and seven and two thousand and eight. Okay. So prior to that, you know, prior to that it was really kinda of, I'm gonna say a three circle model. You gotta create an ideal place to work, an ideal place to do business with, an ideal performance organization. But the fourth one is that it's an ideal social asset. And hmm. I'm not I don't mean the social from a uh how can I put it here, a benevolent point of view. Uh I mean it from the standpoint that it makes a contribution to a better life,
0: a better life within for the community. For yeah,
1: for the for the community. It's not just yeah. ripping off resources. It's not you know, it's it's it is mindful of the role it plays in creating a better community. See, the Great Recession. What I loved about it, even though you know my my investments didn't like it, <laughs> you know what I liked about it was it really said it really you know it's like. Taking off a band-aid and you look and you say, Oh my God, this tells me that we're all connected to one another. Mm-hmm. We need government to do its job. We need business and industry to do its job. They're not independent. They support one another. And here we are in this pandemic. What what has government had to do? And they've done the right things here. Uh, whether it be, and even though people are going to argue, whether it be the CEWS for businesses or CERB, you know, uh, e- municipalities have, have tried to do uh, additional things to help businesses and people cope with the pandemic. You know, being helpful assist. was that in anybody's budget, by the way? <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> but they all found money to do it, didn't they? Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? So, well, yeah.
0: Well, and what's interesting with what's happening right now—if you describe 2008 as a band aid, this is like taking off the body cast, right? I mean, mm. this is a huge.
1: Exactly. Sh- so, I really think the type of thinking that that all leaders need to embrace is the whole whole enterprise thinking. Mm. When I work with the you know CIOs and the commissioners, particularly as a team, I almost force them to take because you get sometimes they get audience that audience group. You know, I'm the I'm the I'm the transportation guy, mm-hmm. and they don't give a damn about the other areas of the business, right. and that's yeah. dead wrong, because they all really need to be, because uh, if the boss is away, and I'm the only person that some counselor can talk to, I better be knowledgeable enough to be able to support what my colleague is doing over in in the service area or or whatever yeah. the case may be. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, and that really speaks to that whole collaboration that we talked about at the beginning, and isn't again, it? And really, again, comes down to
1: that. That's exactly right. Yeah, I really like So that. to summarize that, it really is, I'd like to see more people embrace whole enterprise thinking. How do I create an ideal place to work? How do I create an ideal place for my citizens or my customers to get what they need? And I'm going to use the word need, not the word want. Uh, mm. that, that we have an organization that operates very well. It uses its resources wisely. It sets and achieves goals and is considered, and here's the key, by the political body and the citizenry of, wow, these are good folks doing good work for us. I love it.
0: Now, Sid, that should be the first bullet point on every job description. (laughs) yeah so so with you know this has been a wonderful conversation and I'm sure we could do this again for another hour in the future I mean there's so much more to talk about but I want to ask you as we come to a close Mm -hmm. so what would your call to action be to those up-and-coming leaders
1: well whether they're up and coming or they're uh, established um, I'm gonna say it this way in a chaotic, uncertain, ambiguous world where everybody demands certainty, but they only get probability, mm. my advice to up-and-comers and those that are established and those that wish to do way better, all they need to do is remember three words, and here's the three words, effective, efficient, affective, I'm going to repeat those three words, effective, efficient. Affective. And what I mean here is, be effective first, efficient second, and third, create an ideal corporate culture. See, being effective means the organization and its people are doing the right things. Being efficient means the right things are being done right. And effective means the culture is one where people love doing the right things right. There you have it, Omar.
0: Oh, that's excellent, Sid. I really appreciate that value statement. I have to put that on top of every correspondence that I do going forward. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Sid, I have to say, I've really enjoyed this conversation. And although we might not have gone through all the points that I was hoping to touch on, we've had an awesome conversation. And if you have any last words, anything that you want to add to this?
1: I think. Uh, managers, supervisors, commissioners, all the all the people in a managerial leadership role have an awesome responsibility that's challenging. What I ask everybody to do is to remain focused on creating better outcomes because the, every one of them are creating a better life either it be for their employees or for the citizens And we need them to continue to show up with their hearts and minds attached. There you go.
0: Thank you so much, Sid. Thank you so much for this. And with that, I'll say goodbye.
1: All right. You take care. Bye for now.